Consult is a monthly podcast about software developers who work on Apple platforms to create client products. Join us each month as we talk business, Swift, Objective-C, contracts, App Store, and all things Apple. I'm your host, David Kopeck. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 17 of Consult. I've got a great interview for you with Matthew Bischoff of Lickability. I think you're really going to enjoy it. I also have a big announcement. My new book, Classic Computer Science Problems in Swift, is now available for early access from Manning. Early access means you get access to the first few chapters, and every chapter as it gets written by me, you get an early preview of, you get the draft form of it, and you also get revisions as they come out, and you'll get, of course, access to the final book in the fall. So the promo code PCKOPEC, PCKOPEC, will get you 50% off on Manning's website. I'm going to put a link inside the show notes. Now, this book is great for people who are intermediate at Swift. So maybe they've learned the basic syntax and they want to delve deeper into the language. It's also great for professionals who want to brush up on some computer science knowledge. Maybe they've never had it. Maybe they forgot it since school. It's great for students too, young people or or older people too, are in computer science programs and want to learn computer science in their favorite language, Swift. It'll teach you problem-solving techniques that range from traditional data structures and algorithms to uh, even artificial intelligence and machine learning. There's a little bit of that in there as well. So it's a great book. I think everyone can really enjoy. PC Copac will get you 50% off on Manning's website for classic computer science problems in Swift. I also want to mention that, yeah, the show has been a little bit on hiatus for the last few months. I've been trying to figure out where do we go next with this show. Consult has had some amazing interviews from all across the industry. I think what I want to do is broaden the reach. We're going to go to interview people beyond just iOS and Mac development, so consultants who work on other platforms. And I think with that expanded reach, we're going to get some really interesting compare and contrasts with the guests we've already had. But this month, I have a really great guest for you, Matthew Bischoff. Without further ado, let's get to him. So my guest today is Matthew Bischoff, iOS engineer formerly at the New York Times and Tumblr, and for many years, a consultant at Lickability. Matthew, thanks so much for coming on the show. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So Matt, take us back. How did you first get into computing? First got into computing. Uh, wow. Well, I think I was about um, 10, or, 10 or so when I got my first computer. But before that, when I was seven, I was always on the family computer, which was in the basement. Um, it was a PC, and I was always just playing with all of the different settings, um, reading the internet, playing with the control panel, trying to figure out how it worked. I wasn't yet into programming, but I was really interested in how this thing actually functioned and all the different customizations that were possible. Um, then I got my first Mac um, in eighth grade and it was a Mac mini, the first Mac mini. And I got really obsessed. I had already been really obsessed with, with the Mac from reading about it, uh, and trying to set up my PC to kind of look like a Mac with a bunch of different theming utilities. Um, but once I actually had one, I got really interested in the Mac software scene and, um, all these incredible indie apps, uh, that I was using, um, uh, on my Mac stuff from the Omni group, uh, app zapper, um, delicious library, things like that. And how did you get into software development as a profession? Software development as a profession? Um, I think I, I started programming around 13, uh, just minor things to set up a website uh, and, and blog, learning a little bit of PHP to, to work with WordPress. Um, and I got more serious about it in high school when I joined um, both the Computer Science Club, which I eventually became president of, 
and also computer taking computer science classes. So I took uh, intro to computer science at my high school and also uh, the AB uh, computer science. Um, the, sorry, sorry uh, and also AP computer science uh, there. Then turning that into a career was a bit more difficult because I was so young. So I started on a side project with my friend Brian Caps, who's now a partner at Lickability. And we wanted to create an application for iOS. So to figure out how to do that, we jumped online and watched the Stanford CS193P course taught by Evan Dahl. I think it was the first time they taught it. And uh, we wanted to build an app that would let you see what shows were on Broadway right now um, and allow you to buy tickets uh, for those shows online or by phone. So we built that application that summer after eighth grade going into high school together. And um, from there, I just could never stop, could never put down Xcode, could never stop, uh, stop writing code. So where did the idea for Lickability come from and how did you put together the team? Sure. Lickability was that company. So the company that I started with Brian and it was, um, we just needed a name, something to release it under because we didn't want to release any applications under each of our individual names. So we, we went to LegalZoom and, and just set up a company um, as simply as we could. The company grew over the years from, from then in 2009 um, from this side project where we would release our, our, sci, our side project applications into what it is now, which is a, uh, a living, breathing small business with a team of, uh, with a team of five people. Um, how did we hire the team was your second question? Is yes. that right? Okay, sure. So the team has kind of been picked up along the way. Um, Brian and I started the company, and then when we both went to individual colleges uh, in different spots in the country, we met other people. I met Andrew Harrison, who was my roommate in sophomore year of college at the New, Jer New Jersey Institute of Technology, and he became a, the third member of the company, and he's a partner now as well. Mm -hmm. um, then we... Both, then we all took full-time positions. I went to the Times, Brian joined the Times as well, uh, and Andrew has also worked there. And while we were there, we met um, our first full-time employee, a guy by the name of uh, Mike Libertor. Um, so, so while the three of you were at the Times, were you still running Lickability on the side? Yes. Actually, that's one of the reasons, uh, and I'm really grateful to the New York Times for this, one of the reasons why I chose to go there as the first uh, company I was writing software professionally was that they were completely okay with that. They, they, uh, their contracts supported side projects and my managers, uh, especially Brian Murphy, who's now the CTO of Tumblr was very, very supportive of that. Wow. That's very interesting. Um, that's not always a typical policy. Super, super rare. Yeah. Yeah. What was it like working at the New York times? It was incredible. Um, I had always, been a reader of the Times and an admirer of their journalism and their design aesthetic, especially um, under Koi Vin, who is a friend of mine and runs uh, Subtraction.com. Mm -hmm. So getting to work with those designers, those editors, and those journalists, a lot of them uh, who are still my friends today, was great. And producing something that I was really proud of, like the New York Times app for iPhone was what I mainly worked on while I was there. Um, getting to produce that and getting to hear from people around the organization that they were really proud of the way it had grown into a, a great representation of the report um, was one of the highlights of my career, for sure. Tell me more about what it was like running a company at the same time that you had a full-time job. 
it was challenging. Uh, we also all had uh, romantic partners at the time. So we, so we all had <laughs> partners. We were all trying to run this company. We all lived together, all three of us. So it was a really intense, uh, intense period. Uh, and both Brian and I had dropped out of university to take the Times opportunity. Um, so there was a lot of pressure. Uh, we learned a lot doing it. We learned a lot about how we really, if we're going to do lookability the way we want to do it, we need to um, do it full time. And so we started hatching a plan uh, to get there. How does Tumblr come into the picture? So after a few years at the New York Times, um, I was ready to try something else. And I realized that if I was going to uh, have a company and run lookability, I should probably have a few more diverse experiences um, and work on different types of software. Uh, so I wanted to um, I wanted to spend some time at Tumblr to figure out what I didn't know yet, um, it, which was great because it was a very different team. It's a tech company versus a media company. Um, I got to do both engineering, or actually I got to do engineering, engineering management, and product management while I was at Tumblr, and uh, again work with more great people and meet more great people in the New York uh, tech community. So tell us about some of Lickability's own products, because you're not just a consulting company. You also have some of your own apps. That's right. Uh, Lickability runs similar to how ThoughtBot runs in that we spend Monday through Thursday primarily doing consulting and Fridays um, experimenting, researching, and building our own products. To date, we've released uh, three products. Uh, the first one is no longer on the store. That's a product called Quotebook. That was an app to our first app and an app to collect quotations that matter to you and share them with your friends. Um, if you've, uh, if you purchase that app and you can still use it, but, uh, we had to remove it from the store and, and we can talk about that if you'd like later. Sure. Uh, we also built an, a speed reading app called accelerator. It was initially called velocity. Um, and that is an app that lets you pull in your Instapaper pocket, um, and other documents and read them with this technique called rapid serial visual presentation or RSVP. So it's one or a few words on screen at a time. You can keep your eyes focused just in that one part and you can adjust the speed. Mm -hmm. um, and then most recently we took over an application that Marco Arment released. Uh, it used to be called Bugshot. We've rebranded it to Pinpoint and that's an app that lets you mark up screenshots really, really fast. So it'll just show you your screenshots. It'll let you draw arrows, boxes, uh, blurs and even write some text on them and then quickly share it to any social network that you'd like. What was it like taking over an app from another developer? It was interesting. We weren't sure when we took over Bugshot from Marco whether what we where we were going to take the product, whether we were going to rename it, whether we, go, we were going to rewrite it, and we ended up doing both of those things. So we thought that um, Bugshot was a little bit too of a develop, developer-focused name. And so we wanted something that was, uh, since screenshots are used by more than just developers for reporting bugs, we wanted something that would appeal to a more mass market. Mm -hmm. um, and in terms of the rewrite, the original application was written in Objective-C, and we this was just at the period where we thought Swift was ready for production code. So we used it as a, a, a learning ground and a testing ground for some of our ideas about how to architect an app in Swift. So what percentage of the business, and I understand if you don't want to divulge this, comes from apps versus from consulting? So you're talking about revenue specifically? Yeah. Got it. Yes. Uh, so like I said, we split up the business uh, in terms of time, 80-20, but the revenue does not represent that. Right now, our products um, don't generate that much revenue. I, I can't give out an exact number. Sure. Um, but that's also in, in part due to the fact that we have uh, removed Quotebook from sale. Quotebook is one of, the, one of the better selling products. So let's go back to that. Why did you remove Quotebook? It's actually a, a pretty sad story to me because um, it was an app that I was really passionate about. The 
when we originally released Quotebook, it was an iPhone-only app that used core data for locally storing and uh, your quote your quotes that you entered into the app. Mm-hmm. And along the way, there were a lot of requests for iPad when the iPad was released. Um, so we built an iPad app. And when we had that, when we were testing both apps together, it was obvious that they needed a sync. So we looked around for the syncing solutions that people were using at the time. We didn't want to build our entire uh, own backend and maintain it because we were worried that if we went away or if our side project uh, stopped being interesting to us for some reason, that uh, people would lose their data. So we wanted to pick something that would be supported outside of just us. And we picked iCloud Core Data, which was just released by Apple. Uh. Uh, and that, that, that's the issue. You, <laughs> our listeners might not know, but that technology had a lot of bumps along the way and was recently deprecated. Um, so when we were looking at it as a business, whether we could spend the time to move all that data to another technology um, and do it safely and do it in a way that our customers would expect, uh, it just wasn't worth the, the time that we would have had to put into it. Has that made you afraid of backends as a service in general? It has. Uh, it, it has. Um, I, I think you know, with the parse shutdown, yep. and, and with other with other backends as a service uh, failing as well, it's it's a really tough decision. And if you're going to use one, you do need to have a, a, a more complete plan than we had for migration. What's your um, current modus operandi in terms of backends? Do you write them yourself? A lot of the times when we're writing, when we're working on applications now that have backends, um, our clients already have backend developers, so we collaborate with those developers. In the case where that's not true, um, we have been using Firebase uh, recently, and mm-hmm. we've been pretty happy with it. Um, Google seems very committed to it um, for the long term. Okay, so more than Facebook seemed to parse. Mm-hmm. Okay, great, great. Okay, so let's talk about some more stories, some projects you've taken on as a consultant that went really well or really badly. Let's start with maybe the most challenging projects today. And you don't have to name names, but tell us the type of app and what the challenges were. So one of the most challenging apps that we worked on was a startup company that was trying to build a social network. And you can imagine some of the problems with this because many times when it's a very small startup, um, and they're trying to build something really, really big. There are problems with um, marketing, and there are problems with uh, a founder that has so many ideas and not an ability to focus down on something that can actually ship. So the bigger, the biggest things we were challenged with there was trying to rein in this founder and and let them know that you know to get something out on the store, um, we need to really control the scope and, uh, and and come up with a date that we can actually hit. Yeah, that makes total sense. So there was kind of feature creep coming in? Absolutely, yes. Hmm. Um, so how did the project end? How, how did you resolve this? Or did it, did it just uh, run out of steam? The project ended with the application being released. And the application is, is still on the store and still being downloaded. So I think, I think we actually had, did get through to the, this person. And, um, and it, it's, it's in a good spot. Okay, great. What's one of your favorite projects of all time? Um, one that went awesome. Again, we don't need to name names, but um, what went so well about it and, and why did it succeed? One of my favorite projects and one of our longest running projects uh, that we recently finished up was a project with Meetup. Um, meetup.com is a New York company. Um, I've been to many meetups. You know, The tech community uses the, the Meetup platform all the time to organize uh, groups of people who want to talk about programming or, or many topics. And they came to us and wanted to completely redesign and rewrite 
uh, well, in the beginning, it was unclear if we were going to rewrite it or not. So we can talk a little bit about that. But they wanted to at least redesign their entire iOS application. Um, and they trusted us to do that. And so over the course of actually quite a long time, uh, probably about a year or so, we we did that. We executed a complete uh, redesign, many new screens. Uh, we helped them build a team by by interviewing uh, new engineers that would work at Meetup full time to, to take this app and run with it. And I think that project went incredibly well. So tell me more about that decision about to rewrite or not to rewrite. Right. So when we started with Meetup, this was an unclear question about whether it would be better to take the existing code base, which was mostly in Objective-C, and sort of reskin it, or it would be better to sort of move towards Swift and, and do a rewrite. And the way that we evaluated that was my partner Brian and I went through every single file in the code base, uh, in the existing code base, and we put them all into a spreadsheet, uh, every class name, and we looked at each class individually and as a system, and we rated them um, in terms of code quality and uh, ability to maintain this going forward, whether there were um, red flags for us, whether the class was just needed minor adjustments, or whether it was actually uh, really, really well engineered. Um, and once we came back with that list, we found that there were some significant deficiencies in the existing app that would actually, I think, have taken us much longer to reskin, and we would have wound up with a product that the client would have been less happy with than if we had uh, re rewritten it. Now, was the previous app built by other consultants, or was it built internal? I think it was a mix, um, but many internal people. I'm not blaming anyone specifically for um, the quality. It's, I think, a problem that happens often with code bases because the Meetup app is very old. It was one of the first apps on the store, and it had been running uh, you know, and being added to and uh, uh, worked on continuously for a very long time. So there was just a lot of typical legacy issues that, that creep in. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So it sounds like from, from a few different points that we've talked about that your team is all in on Swift, which I think most people are at this point. How early did you jump on the Swift bandwagon? I think Pinpoint was right around Swift 1.2. I think 1.0 was a little bit too early for us. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, we are we are all in on Swift. I think um, it's a great language for, for iOS apps going forward. I'm interested in some of the work that's being done on Swift on the server, especially with the, the Vapor framework. Mm -hmm. And yeah. um, uh, I, I'm keeping a close eye on that stuff. Um, I, I do think you know clients come to us occasionally with Objective C code bases that are um, that just need a little bit of help, a little bit of maintenance. And in those cases, we're happy. We're still happy to help. Everyone on our team is familiar with with both languages. But uh, for new stuff, and even for new even for new uh, files or or uh, frameworks in existing apps, I typically recommend Swift. Now, I'm sure you guys built a pretty strong professional network being at the New York Times and at Tumblr. Um, how do you market yourselves to new potential clients? Is it mostly through word of mouth or do you use other channels? It is mostly through word of mouth, but also we try to make sure that our applications and our um, presence online represents represents us and, and how we approach things. So we, we also write blog posts on our, our Lickability blog, which is hosted on Medium. Recently, one of those uh, kind of broke out and got shared pretty widely. It's called Our View on View Models, which walks through one of the main architectural strategies we used when building uh, the rebuilding the Meetup application. Um, so content like that, uh, word of mouth. And we also list ourselves on um, websites where people might want to compare different uh, consulting firm. So the biggest one of those for us has been uh, clutch.co. Cool, cool. And what, what's your experience been like working with clutch.co? 
uh, we've been really happy with it. Um, a lot of a lot of clients have come through there and have and have read the reviews. And also, it's a really great way to collect testimonial testimonials from clients be, rather than just an email, which they they might forget about. Um, they, it's just a simple form that they can fill out. Now, early on, you all were living together in the same apartment. That must have made working together convenient. That's um, true. What's your working setup like now as a company? Sure. Um, when uh, the first one of us went full-time uh, on Lickability, we continued to work from that apartment um, because it was it was simple. We just set up a desk. But when we realized that more of us were going to go full-time, uh, myself and, and Andrew were going to join full-time, we needed a, a real space. And we were also at the same same time all moving in different directions to, to, to different um, uh, areas anyway. So it, it worked out that we would need to find an office then. Um, we looked around the city and we uh, settled on a co-working space for a number of reasons, one of which is expandability, because we knew that we would be growing in the future. Uh, we didn't want to sign uh, a five or 10 year lease in New York City on a, an office of a particular size that either we wouldn't be able to fill initially or we would outgrow. So right now we're in our second uh, WeWork building um, at Tower 49, which is at 49th and Madison. And we have space for, uh, I believe, six or eight people there. Do you do a lot of face-to-face meetings with clients in New York City, or are your clients scattered around the world? Most of our clients have been in New York, and we do do face-to-face meetings, um, typically in their office if they have one. Sometimes they'll, they'll join us in our office. Um, but we also have been taking on more clients other, other uh, places in the country, so I've been flying back and forth uh, to San Francisco more this year. Cool. Um, let's talk about some technical topics. So- okay. You were at WWDC earlier this month. Give me your impressions of the conference and uh, the new announcements from Apple. Okay, sure. Uh, This WWDC was pretty much exactly what I was hoping for, um, which is that Apple uh, took seriously some of the criticisms that have been levied against them and and really focused on system reliability and uh, didn't do do a massive redesign of the operating system, didn't do... um, uh, tons and tons of new user-facing features. But on both platforms, uh, macOS and iOS, they really focused a lot on the fundamentals, which it was great to see. I'm also really excited about the new developer frameworks that were announced, um, both ARKit and Vision and uh, the the virtual reality stuff. All of that stuff is going to enable people to build, you know, not enable things that couldn't have been built before, but enable them to be built much more easily and more quickly by more people, which will, uh, I think, lead to some great apps. Um, other, other announcements from WWDC that I'm less excited about, this is something that didn't get a lot of coverage, but, um, the accounts framework, which is what the iOS framework that allows applications to easily log in with Twitter, Facebook, Flickr, Vimeo, and others, um, is completely deprecated. Uh, and the, and the replacement is, is not a great solution for users. I don't think it is maybe better for security and privacy, but the solution is that you have to use Safari view controller to do all those logins now. And Safari View Controller will offer the the autofill um, uh, system, and I, I understand why that might be a bit more secure um, since that's an out of process thing, and, and the application can't capture the pass- password that the user put in. But it's uh, it's a little bit more clunky, and and and, and apps that already rely on those existing accounts frameworks um, are, are going to have to scramble to uh, to figure something out. So, is another alternative to install the SDKs for each of the individual? Um Providers, so you install the Facebook SDK, the Twitter SDK, etc. Yes, that that is uh, that is another solution, which um, 
you know, some of those SDKs are, are open source, some of them are closed source. Adding those to your code base has, has a number of, of pros and cons. Right, including uh, making the size of your binary larger, which has been That's a controversy exactly. recently, right? That's exactly what I was thinking of, yeah. Yeah, what do you think about that? I mean, this over the last three or four years, there was a, a chart that's going around social media um, showing that some apps have increased 20x in size. Um, has that been an experience that you've had with, with your apps? Have, have your apps been, been blowing up? Uh, not blowing up, but I have, seen, I have seen apps that are a lot larger than they should be. Um, and most of those are not apps that we've worked on. They're just apps that I, that I see on my phone. I think there are a number of issues. One of them is actually just, uh, if I recall correctly, a display issue. So when you're in the app store and you're downloading an update for, for an app, the app store will show you a size, but that's not actually the size of the bytes that you're, that are being downloaded to your device. Um, so if Apple was just to fix the display, that would fix a lot of the, the user concerns, I think. Um, it actually shows you the full app size, not the app thin size and the delta that it's actually downloading. Yeah, really, that's quite a difference. Yeah, a huge difference. So let's talk about some of the technical tools that you and the rest of the team use to collaborate. Um, mm-hmm. what, what are your go-to tools on a daily basis? I love talking about tools. Uh, I wouldn't be an engineer if, if I didn't love talking about tools, I don't think. Um, okay, so we use a lot of stuff that we really, really like. Um, we have a Slack, uh, as a lot of companies probably do at this point. We use mm-hmm. Slack for our, for our group chat. But one thing that we do differently with our Slack, and I, I've been meaning to write this up uh, in a blog post, is that it's not just people from Lickability in our Slack. Um, we also invite uh, engineers, designers, and friends into our general channel as single-channel guests to make it a little bit more lively and to add more diversity of uh, opinions and diversity of thought. Um, it, it's just a lot more fun to have a lively community of, of more than just the four or five of us. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what, then for, cli- for clients, yeah. we create individual channels for each client and invite the clients to those channels it, unless they would like us in their Slack, in which case we, uh, we, we join their Slack as well. Has Slack become your main means of client communication? Yes, it has. Uh, most of our communications with clients happen over Slack, in Slack calls, in Google Hangouts. Um, and in terms of the more written communication, we try to keep that uh, to issue tracking systems and to um, like pull requests so that it can, it can actually live with the code. What issue tracking systems do you guys use? We've used everything, uh, everything under the sun. For our own projects and for projects where the client says, uh, we'll use whatever you'd like to use, we tend to stick with GitHub issues. Um, and we've more recently been layering GitHub projects on top of that. Okay. All right. Let's talk about other tools. Okay. Other tools that we use. Um, so as I mentioned, we run our, our blog on Medium. We use Basecamp internally to track non-code related to-dos and uh, our own meeting notes. Um, we, we create a separate Basecamp for each client uh, to store that stuff. And we also have one internally just for us. Mm-hmm. Um, we also use Zero as our accounting solution. We're really, really happy with that. Have you used that before? I haven't personally, no. It's similar to QuickBooks Online, um, but it has a few uh, really, really nice reports and a really great design sense throughout the whole application that make it make it a pleasure to actually do your accounting. Uh, we use HelpShift for customer support. We've been very, very happy with that as well. Um, it's basically an email inbox or, or help desk, but it's much, much simpler than going to something like Zendesk or Salesforce. Um, and then uh, the core of our company's payroll and benefits system and all of that is uh, JustWorks. They're a New York company and, and um, they have worked with us throughout our whole company's lifetime. 
um, when we needed these services to uh, to get us everything we need. So they run our 401k, they run our benefits, payroll, as I mentioned, uh, and they've been great. So is there one person at Lickability who kind of does um, quarterbacking on all of these tools, or is it is it the responsibility spread throughout? That's a, that's a great question. Um, when the three of us realized that this was more than a side project and a business, we did sort of divide up the responsibilities. So the responsibilities of operations, which includes choosing tools and and uh, and running this stuff, is fall to my partner Brian. Mm-hmm. What about more generally splitting up responsibilities? Um, the, the, you're still a fairly small company. Does does everyone work collaboratively on every project, or is there somebody who's more involved in sales, somebody who's more involved in design, somebody who's more involved in in uh, in actual coding? It's, it's, the answer is uh, maybe unsatisfyingly sort of both. Uh, we all, collaboration is one of, our, one of our core tenets of how we run the company. So everyone can, has access to almost everything in the company uh, and anyone can jump in on any conversation and, and offer their thoughts. Uh, but it is important to have people with dedicated responsibilities or um, uh, someone responsible for each thing so that it it doesn't get dropped in in no man's land. And so I, I take care of most of our, our sales and our product uh, thinking, thinking about our new products and, and our new clients. Um, Brian is handling uh, our finance and operations, as I mentioned, uh, and, and some of our marketing. And then Andrew is sort of our technical lead uh, or CTO type figure who's doing um, figuring out who to hire and also figuring out what our technical policy should be and, and which um, engineering specific tools we should be using. Now, you're personally very active on social media. You're quite popular on Twitter. Uh, (laughs) How has that affected the business at all? Has that helped you bring in clients ever? um, Or is that more just uh, for personal reasons? Yeah, uh, it's been a big help to the business. Um, We, as I said, we do have our own corporate social media, but I'm I'm probably more active personally, like you mentioned. Uh, A lot of the clients that we've had in the last few years have just been a tweet that I saw or a DM that I received saying, hey, uh, we'd love to we'd love to work with you, and that's how the conversation starts. Very cool. Um, has it ever negatively affected the business? Not that I know of, but I but I imagine there's there's probably someone out there who's who's not a fan. Okay, all right, fair enough. Um, tell me about some of the challenges you faced uh, working together as a company. Um, has, has there ever been a point where there's been a major disagreement about a technical issue, and how did you resolve it? There have been, I mean, we're all very opinionated, uh, and so there have, there have been many major disagreements about things. Um, the way that we resolve those disagreements is by giving people the time and space to come up with their arguments, write them down, and then uh, getting in a room and discussing it uh, and drawing out drawing out the possible solutions. And usually once we've given people that time, you know, we don't rush into that, that conversation, um, once we've given them the time uh, to do that and we have everyone in the room and we can work through each possible sh- solution, usually it, it kind of works itself out. One thing becomes clearly the right way for us to go. Um, in cases where it doesn't and someone still feels like they they were right and we should have gone their direction, um, that's, that's more rare. I can only think of maybe one or two times that's happened. And uh, we sort of say, okay, well, this is uh, how most of the team feels. We're going to try this out. But if it doesn't work, we will keep this in our back pocket and we have the write-up of, of, of what to switch to if we need to. When you're thinking about uh, taking on a new client, do all of the partners need to be on board or could it be that there's just one partner who's particularly interested in, in this project? Everybody needs to be on board for sure. 
uh, does there ever come a point where the majority are on board, but there's one holdout and then you, you have to choose not to take the project on? Yes, absolutely. Uh, yes. If, if one of my, if either, you know, Brian Capps or Andrew Harrison, my business partners, um, if one of them or myself is strongly against taking on something, then we won't take it on. Do you do work outside of iOS? Uh, we have the capability on the team and we have done a bit, uh, like I said, a bit of backend work, um, in the company and also, uh, some, some Mac work we're taking on right now. Uh, but outside of, uh, Apple platforms and the backend necessary, we haven't taken on anything, um, uh, with one exception, which is that we did a lot of research for a company about how to serve food, um, ready to cook and ready to, pr- ready to eat food. Um, from refrigerated vending machines that would have an app backing it. So we didn't just look at the app side of things. We also did a lot of research on the entire vending machine market uh, and, and who we would partner with on that. Wow, that's fascinating. Um, yeah, that was, a, that was a really fun project. Are, are, so I guess modern vending machines are actually internet connected. And yes, right. Have, so the, the app would communicate to some kind of back end that has some kind of API for all the vending machines. And they're you all got it. on the, wow. Do you want to work on it? (laughs) (laughs) It sounds very interesting. It sounds like it's probably pretty complicated, too. Yeah, it is. It is because uh, legacy vending machines uh, didn't have any of these capabilities. So it's just a few small companies, um, mainly in the U.S., Canada, and Japan, that are building uh, vending machines that have these microcontrollers and and, uh, cellular cards that that communicate this data. So Lickability is an Apple platform specialist. Um, has it ever been a project you had to turn down because they required an Android app, for example? Uh, rather than turn projects like that down, we uh, have Android developers that we know and would work with on those. So we'd bring them in uh, as subcontractors or um, just, wor- just recommend those firms to the client for the Android side of things. What do you guys think of React Native? Oh, we've actually done, uh, Andrew specifically has done a ton of research on React Native for different clients. Um, for most of those clients and their specific needs, React Native wasn't the right choice at the moment, but we're keeping a really, really close eye on it because um, what it enables and the the speed of iteration that it enables is really interesting to us. So uh, w- when you're working with a client and you're, you say, well, we're going to bring in another team um, or we, we, have, we know this other team that would be great to develop the Android app. Do you ever have pushback and they say, you know, we'd really prefer a cross-platform solution so we're just developing one app for both, both we have uh, We have not heard that yet, um, but I can, as, as the cross-platform solutions, um, frankly, get better and, and, and suck less, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think, we, I think we, could, we could hear that objection in the future. What's competition been like for Lickability with other consulting companies? Um, has, has there, is it friendly? Has there been some, some cutthroat moments? With a lot of the smaller consulting companies like Alan, who you've had on the show, who runs Steam Clock Software. Yep. Uh, yeah, super friendly. We share information um, as well as some individuals in, in New York City who do consulting uh, on these platforms. Um, Sarush Kanlu, for instance, worked with us on sure. one of our projects, and he's also a consultant in the industry. Um, it's been super friendly. With the larger companies, uh, we haven't really had any direct contact with them, and we have occasionally uh, won deals over them, or they've won deals over us. Um, I'd like to reach out to some of those companies in the coming months and, and, and build more of a relationship, because that's the style of company that we are. We'd like to be uh, friendly with, with our competitors, if possible. Over time, do you want to see your, your app business grow, your, your own apps? Um, is, is that a goal to eventually uh, have Lickability become more of an app company than a consulting company, or do you see yourselves as forever a consulting company? 
uh, again, it's it's sort of both. Uh, we would like to see it grow, but we, we never want the consulting uh, side of things to go away. We learn a lot doing the consulting, and um, it is uh, it's fun to get to work with uh, people, at, very different people. I, I brought that up a couple of times, but we really enjoy working with new people and people with different ideas uh, than us. So the consulting side lets us do that. As you grow the team, do you look to only grow um, with other people in New York City, or are you, do you have remote workers as well? We don't have any remote workers right now, and I don't think we're quite set up to do it, but um, I have seen other consulting companies be very successful uh, doing that, and I don't think that there's any reason why we couldn't put in the time and effort to get set up for that. Do you have any concerns right now about Apple's direction technically? Um, is there some you mentioned about some of the things you were happy about at WWDC? Is there some things you were hoping to see that didn't happen? Um, some things you'd like to see improved in Swift? Yeah, Swift and the Swift tooling. Um, we've run into significant issues with with some clients with compile times, um, but. I think they're making all the right investments there, and I think that they're prioritizing the right things. So I'm not concerned long-term that 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 stuff's getting better. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Um, Is there anything about the consulting business that we missed that you'd like to to mention? Just uh, one thing that we missed is just the the, the range of services that we we offer. Um, So we've done projects, like I said, we've done projects where we're, we're building a brand new app. We've done projects where we're coming in and working on an existing app, but also we've done, you know, things where we're just doing code review for a client, um, or just, uh, you know, helping to train an internal team on some technology. So we're, we're really trying to be available for anything, uh, in our area of expertise. How do you set up code review? I, I've done that myself, um, for some clients. It, it's sometimes a touchy process because you're getting access to their code base. You need to mm-hmm. be critical. Um, that's the whole point, right? Yes. Um, right. but you also, that they have internal developers or other consultants who, uh, you know, are going to have their egos bruised. So how, how has that process gone for you? Uh, we think it's important when we're doing a, a project that is primarily or all code review to have an in-person meeting with the team if possible, uh, so that we can, um, build a rapport and we're not just an avatar, we're like a, a real person. Uh, and then, and then also, um, to, to come up with a set of code review guidelines that the whole team can share. So the first thing that we want to do is actually come up with a set of standards, a style guide or something that we can actually point to, um, and, and set up and automate as much of that as possible. So setting up, we always set up swift lint on new projects, um, so that the comments that we're making are not, nitpicky style comments because those can be automated away, but they're actually more sub- uh, substantive architectural points or, or um, system design points. And tell me more about that training as well. What, what kind of training have you done for clients? Uh, we're trying to build out the training a bit more right now. Uh, the one piece of training that I've done, and this was before I was full-time on Lickability, but it's a model that I think we should be emulating more, is uh, at Tumblr, I helped develop a program that would help web engineers uh, learn a a lot about iOS engineering. Um, There was a similar program for Android uh, and kind of let them contribute more to the code base. So I think a lot of companies have many web engineers who are front-end engineers who are interested in contributing to their iOS and Android applications, but don't yet have the skills. And so uh, we're trying to branch into that more. What are some upcoming goals for Lickability over the next year? Over the next year, um, we have a bunch of internal goals that I that I can't share uh, in terms of shipping different projects, uh, our own projects and client projects. But in general, 
our goal over the next year is to continue what we've been doing, which is to grow slowly and thoughtfully, hire uh, a few more really great people um, that we can work with for years, hopefully, and uh, and continue to hold ourselves to the to the quality standards that we that we set and even raise those bars a little bit. As you hire new people, what's the most important aspect? Is it more about team fit or is it more about previous iOS experience or mm. um, is it more about, um, let's say, credentials? Uh, team, team fit is a tricky one because I've, I've, I've read some research about that particular area and being used to justify um, uh, discrimination, essentially, mm-hmm. uh, or, or, or um, trying to only find people that look and think like you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, tr- we try not to use that as a, as a factor. Um, more what we look for is um, solid engineering fundamentals. So the ability to architect and design a system with um, things in mind like the single responsibility principle, object-oriented design principles in general, um, think, being able to name things well and, and, and uh, separate concepts well. And then uh, secondarily, yeah, experience on the platform and with the platform APIs. So solid engineering fundamentals and then the ability to apply those fundamentals to these platforms that we, that we tend to work on. What's your interview process like? Uh, it's similar to a lot of the, the processes that we learned uh, at the Times and at Tumblr um, in which you know, there's an initial coffee meeting or, or phone call just to, to make sure that the person is interested and, uh, and, and that we're the right kind of company for them. And then... Uh, we do a code exercise that you have um, time to work on on your own. We avoid whiteboard interview questions or anything that's high time pressure in the in-person interview. We send we send you the code exercise so you can work on it on your own time, which lets you really express uh, as much or as little as you want of your of your talent um, and uh, and spend as little as little or as much time as you have on it. Um, and then we review that. We make notes on it, and if um, if the person shows uh, a lot of skill and promise in that, we, we bring them in for an in-person interview um, where we discuss uh, potential improvements to that that we could make, we maybe pair on those. And then uh, we also have um, just more iOS knowledge questions, questions about how you work on a team, questions about, um, about what you're interested in doing at the company. And then we all sit down and talk about it. What's the design ethos like on the team? Um, do, do you all have the same direction? Are there people who are in different camps? Um, and do you let do you uh, have a full-time designer on the team or do you kind of contract that out? Or are you guys uh, jack-of-all-trades where there's both developers are also designers? Uh, yeah, some of our developers are really talented uh, in designing screens as well. Um, with, with the iOS... The way, the, the way that iOS has moved in the last few years, um, where it takes less rendering of photorealistic textures to, to build an iOS app that looks correct on the platform, mm-hmm. um, we have been doing more of our own design um, internally. We don't have a full-time designer yet, but that's something that I imagine we will probably hire for when we have enough, um, enough work for them full-time. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have contract designers that we work with uh, that, we're, that, we've, that we've met along the way in our professional network that you brought up before. And in terms of design, e- there's a lot of questions in there. Uh, in <laughs> terms of design ethos, um, yeah, I think we hire for people who understand uh, from the stuff that we have released what we're going for, which is a, a really, really simple and easy to use uh, aesthetic, or sorry, a really, really simple and easy to use um, user experience with uh, an aesthetic that matches uh, the app that we're building. So if the app is, the audience is, um, 
looking for something to uh, to, to speed read. They're going to be focused on the text. If they're looking for um, uh, Meetup, in Meetup's case, the designers there wanted to build something that made you feel like you were joining a community. So the aesthetic of the app um, should match the audience and, and, and what they're they're going for. All right, I'm going to throw you a curveball, Matt. All um, right, I'm ready. So uh, we all thought, some of us thought, that Parse was going to be around forever. Tomorrow, <laughs> Firebase closes. What do you do? Sure. Um, tomorrow, Firebase closes. Well, number one, I just want to I want to step back. And I don't, Parse didn't shut down overnight. Firebase is not going to shut down overnight. That's There's true. Be, we got a one-year one year plan in place. leave for, on Parse. That's true. That's right. That's right. Um, but if Firebase shuts down, uh, we would look to, so I follow this, this, this um, g- guideline that Marco Arment ha- also put out, which is that you never want to be the biggest user of something, right. right? So as long as we are not the biggest Firebase user or none of our clients are, are even in the top uh, 10% of Firebase users, we can go talk to those companies and look f- at what they're doing as a, um, as a guideline for what, what we could do. So if they say, okay, well, we're going to be moving to this other backend as a service and here's what we did, here's our migration plan and we can, we can follow that. Or if they say, okay, we're going to bring it internally and everyone says that uh, at the same time, then we can, uh, we can do the same. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, is there anything you want to plug? Anything um, that's coming out soon that you're excited about? Uh, well, if you've never played with our applications, I'd, I'd uh, suggest getting them, especially Pinpoint. It's free and it's super useful if you're in this industry uh, to, to mark stuff up and, and send it uh, in issue trackers as bugs. Um, and then if, uh, if you're interested in working with us for any reason, I'm always reachable uh, on Twitter at MB. Um, it's a very short username. And uh, also at Matt at Lickability.com. And what's your blog? Uh, the Lickability blog is blog.lickability.com. And my personal one is available at MatthewBischoff.com. Well, Matt, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, Thanks for having me, David. I really, this is great. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for listening to Consult. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Now, I want to remind you again about my new book, Classic Computer Science Problems in Swift, available from Manning. Go to their website and use promo code PCKOPEC, P-C-K-O-P-C, for 50% off. I also want to invite you to reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at Dave Kopech, D-A-V-E-K-O-P-E-C. I love to get all of your feedback about the show, suggestions of new guests. If you love the show, please leave us a review on iTunes or recommend us on Overcast. I'll see you soon.